hope I've passed on to my, my children is that if you want something, you can work for it. If you have a goal, I had this conversation with my oldest the other day, pursue your dreams to the end of the earth, no matter what it takes, because um, there's going to be stepping stones along the way and things you have to do that might not be directly aligned with that dream, but they're a means to an end. And um, I think I learned work ethic from my father. He did whatever it took, um, even though, you know, that was at the cost of some things um, to provide for us, you know, and to make a better future, the best future he could for us, no matter what that took. Hey, mamas, welcome to the Being Mother Hustler podcast. I'm your host, Mother Hustler, Kareen Mills. I'm a mama of two boys, founder of a tribe called Mother Hustler Nation, co-founder of the Game Changers Global Network, an insurance professional turned lifestyle entrepreneur, keynote speaker, and author. Each and every week, I'm bringing you stories and thoughts from mom entrepreneurs who will inspire you to take massive imperfect action unapologetically chase your dreams and eradicate your excuses so you can quit treating your business like a hobby and turn your side hustle into full-time income. I know being mother hustler is not easy, but sisters, we are making it happen even in this beautiful mess. Thank you so much for being present with me today. Now let's go mother the world. Don Jensen Bodine's most important role in life is a single mother of three amazing children. Through so much adversity and struggles, Dawn chooses to live her life not out of pain and victimhood. Instead, She chooses to learn and thrive out of those life experiences. You can find Dawn often sharing her story as she believes testimony is super powerful. And if we grow through adversity and share those experiences, it can give others strength to do the same. Dawn started in sales and customer service over 30 years ago, and she's turned that passion for serving and blessing others into multiple businesses, including sales and marketing, contracting, and a cleaning business that employed single mothers. Her most recent endeavor into real estate has allowed her to help first-time home buyers realize their dream of home ownership when they did not think it was possible. When Dawn is not hard at work, she enjoys workouts at the gym and spending time with her children who are ages 21, 20, and 18. She's also an advocate of the Second Amendment and loves the outdoors. Mother Hustlers, please help me in welcoming the Mother Hustler mothering the world this week real estate broker, realtor, and small business owner, but most importantly, single mama of three amazing human beings, Dawn Jensen Bodine. Welcome back, everybody, to the Being Mother Hustler podcast. I have my amazing mother hustler friend over here locally had coffee with her and when I heard her story I said to myself that woman has to be on my podcast and I'm blessed to have you Dawn because you're local we've been trying to get this going for a very long time your bit live or one of your videos that you always do so let's talk about that and take us through the whole childhood to teenager and how really those lessons that they have, you know, instilled in you made you the man that you are today. I love that story. And it definitely is the foundation for everything that I have achieved. I give a lot of credits to my parents. The, the both blue boot collar workers. My dad was a mm-hmm. Vietnam vet. He, he served over in the U.S. Marines. My mom is a Japanese immigrant. So he met while he was stationed in Japan during the war. I'm all here with my dad when she was age 20. 
and she didn't speak English or anything like that. So we basically learned English together by watching Sesame Street and, you know, Big Bird and all these different oh, things wow. and, and, you know, all these different things on TV. So that was, that was kind of fun thing. So also I had two very disciplinarian parents. So my dad being a gunnery sergeant in the Marines, he was the one that's barking orders for people to do things. So he was the physical disciplinarian that also believed in respect and communication and leadership and being tough and all these different things like a Marine, right? Where my mom, she was a disciplinarian when it came to education because mm. as a Japanese woman, when she grew up in that era, the girls only went to high school like if they were a rich family. So her yes. family was farmers. So basically the, the normal people in Japan in her era, when they went to school, they basically went to junior high and they got plucked out of the school system to go work in the farms. So that's what she did. She didn't finish high school. And coming here to America, you always wanted to come to America. It's just the land of dreams, the land of opportunity. And she saw that and she valued education. So here's, a, here's an idea how strict my mom was with school. I did not miss a single day of school from kindergarten through graduation. No not one. Way. Not one day. My mom was basically like, Tony, if you're not dying, you're getting on that bus. Because she was, she worked full time as well. So it's not like she could stay home and, and babysit me or do anything like that. So it was basically, you know, my mom worked her entire career working in the school system. She worked in the cafeteria. So that lady that was giving you your food every day as a child, that was my mom. And she loves everybody. She just accepts and loves everybody. So she taught me the compassion, the empathy, caring for other people, putting other people first and education. So it's kind of a, a unique mix of both, but where I get my entrepreneurial mindset and the big dreaming was definitely my mom. And the funny thing is, is I didn't even understand it until later on in life. Mm. So we talk about things like this, Karen, like, like vision boards and manifesting and things like that. And I didn't hear that terminology probably until I was mid thirties, like vision board. I was like, what the hell is this vision board that people are talking about? I know. And, and I started thinking back as like, oh my gosh, like every room that I've ever had, my mom would put up a cork board above my desk because I used to build model cars and paint pictures and draw stuff and very artistic. And I always had a cork board with thumbtacks and she'd always tell me, cut things out of magazines that you like and just put them up there and just, you know, things that you like. And holy crap, I realized that yeah. that was a vision board and I never even, it was just like a dream board, I think is what she used to call it. And it's just something I thought every kid did. I thought everybody did this. And, and I grew up with that. And my mom would always tell me things because being an immigrant, especially understanding the, the potential here, she would say things like, you could be anything you want, Tony. Mm -hmm. You could be the president of the United States. You could be mm -hmm. a space astronaut. You could be a race car driver, whatever you want, you could be that. And so I grew up believing that I could do anything. And now earning millions of dollars and stuff like that. No, I didn't. I believed it was possible but I didn't believe that was for me because I didn't have anybody successful on either side of that family. Like basically we're one level out of the trailer park. My dad was the first one that moved out and got a house that didn't have wheels on it. So understand that when I'm looking at the family and then the Japanese farmers, it's like there was no signs of success or financial success on either side of my family. So who was I to believe that I could become a millionaire? You know, I just didn't think that way. Wow. You shared this 20 minute um, podcast episode for Ed. And I'm, when you said something about your family unit and how the family, you know, were just a level above a trailer park, I feel like a lot of us, when we dream, we kind of shut it down in our own minds because we base our wants and wishes and dreams on our family unit's history. The acceptance part of like, you know, this is my life. I'm always going to be in this level in, in my journey. And it's not possible to be a multimillionaire or even hit the millionaire, you know, level because my parents were this. That is a noise that I personally went through and heard in my mind. It's a lot of noise that goes through. How do you then, or how did Tony then removed or overcame that noise because it seemed like it was a loud and clear noise for you. Mm -hmm. I think that was, I, I didn't really always think big. That, that's one of that's one of the big fallacies. I think a lot of people, they, they see someone like you or myself and we're out there doing these crazy things and they think that, man, I, I'm not thinking like them. I guess I'll never be them. And that's just not true. The thing is, is that we, 
we unlock this awareness over time. And that's okay. Especially if you're listening to this and you're in your 20s, like you don't have things figured mm-hmm. out. I'm 47 right now. I'm just starting to figure things out in my 40s. Even though I became highly successful in my late 20s, early 30s, I didn't know all the answers at the time. I, like, I basically became financially successful, but I didn't realize that there was people out there still trying to use you and steal from you and do all these kind of things and leverage your, your proximity or your network to get you know, things for themselves. And mm-hmm. I was just unaware of this because I've always been the benefit of the doubt type person. But to really specifically answer your question, you don't have to have everything figured out, but you have to start mm-hmm. making some promises to yourself and keeping those and seeing the results because I was not confident as a child. I had bullies, especially growing up half mm-hmm. immigrant and basically mm-hmm. a redneck town. People wow. fight me and beat me up just because of who my mom was. I remember going to the store and you got to think about this, this generation, me growing up in the late seventies and the eighties, there was still a lot of ill will around Japanese people from yeah. world war II. you know, like my grandparents generation were the ones in world war II. So they, that was still like the town, right? And you think about that, they would follow my mom and my sister and, and me around the stores and just watch us and, and, you know, just kind of be suspicious. And, and I remember being called all the, the, the slurs, you know, chink, Jap ass, whatever, like all of those things. And I don't, you know, I don't really look Asian, but people knew my mom. It's a small town. There was 15,000 yeah. people there. Everybody knows everybody. Wow. And so I didn't really think that it was financial success was something that I would achieve. But what it is, is you start to gain confidence when you start to take actions and you start to see little results. Mm-hmm. And when you start to see those results, they compound over time and you start to gain confidence in your abilities because you're doing things to get actual results. And then that just kind of snowballs because, you know, a lot of people see the company that I built. It was a large online community. We can talk to those details in a minute. But when I started that large thing that made the millions of dollars, I was only thinking about making $500 extra a month. Yes. That's amazing. Well, I always, I always talk to people about like, you know how they ask us because they see us as successful people. Oh, you have a podcast. Oh, your podcast is this. I'm never going to be like that. But I think they think that there is a secret sauce that we are special people and that we must have something really good that we're not telling everybody. <laughs> and you talk about, you know, making $500 extra side hustle. That was your side mm-hmm. hustle, correct? Yeah. And I tell a lot of my tribe, like, you have to take action because it's like turning a stone over. You can't turn a stone unless you take a step. The next stone, when you turn them over, there is some information somewhat under there. And without you taking a step, you cannot access the next information. There are progression of information that you learn. But if you paralyzing yourself, paralysis analysis, because you're Mm -hmm. overthinking a lot of things, it essentially makes you still. You're not moving and therefore you're not turning stones or rocks and you're not getting access to the next information or you're not failing because when you're not... I, I always carry this with me, the sayings like, show me someone that's never failed and I'll show you a failure, right? That's right. Because people are so scared to fail. Don't they, you they're think? All, they're all afraid of getting punched in the face. That's what we say, right? Yeah. So did you get punched in the face with your side hustle and how many times did that happen to you? I've probably started, so here's the thing, that in the, I love that you topic talk about that because people will remember the greatest achievements and even the people that were involved in those things will remember those greatest achievements and the winners will always forget their losses pretty quick. We learn lessons from those, but we move on pretty quick. So Mm -hmm. I started nine different companies and two of them became highly successful. So there was seven that basically I spent thousands and thousands and hours and hired people and those didn't work out. But the thing is two that hit and they weren't the last two that hit. One of them was the second one and maybe the other one was like the fourth one, but it was this, this, you learn something from everything and understand that failure is something that I expect. It's not something I aim for. It's something I expect. And to give you a perfect analogy, there's a lot of analogies between fitness and business. So I go to the gym six yes. days a week. You don't get stronger until you fail. And when you work out and as sets, you're doing sets of whatever, let's talk about bench press or squats or whatever. Like the last one, that last set, if you're really putting in the work, you're probably going to fail in that last rep. 
if you got the right amount of weight on there and you can't finish your set, but that's what makes you stronger. So understand that we are used to failing every single day. And the thing is, that's a very high level excuse that most people use, Karine. They're like, oh, I don't want to start because I'm afraid of failure. Like, no, you're not afraid of failure. We fail at all kinds of things. We fail at our relationships, our, our jobs. We, we fail to exercise. We fail to eat parenting. correctly. We fail at <laughs> parenting. We fail at going to bed on time. We, we fail all yes. day long. It's normal. And we don't beat ourselves up a lot of times about that. But the thing is, what, what we're really worried about is what other people are going to say about our failures. Amen That's, to that. Yes. That is what people are worried about, is what other people are going to say. And man, I can rant all day on that one. Yeah. Well, you know, people are judgmental. But then Jay Shetty said something about like, you are not what you think they think you are. You know, it's like, we think they're going to judge us, but they're yes. really, they're busy with their own lives. And truly, on, honest to goodness, some people don't even think, or know that you failed, you know, but it's all in our head yeah. too that we worry about their, their opinions. Like, you know, your opinions doesn't pay my bills. <laughs> Here's how I help my clients. I tell them it's the fear of the unknown because let's be honest, most people will gladly accept the mundane, boring life that they already have. Maybe the same job they have, they'll, let's accept it. Whatever they're paying you is basically a comfort level you've arrived at and you just accept that, that place. Yes. You're so afraid of changing or pivoting or reinventing yourself or going to do the things that you really want to do or have passion in because it's the fear of the unknown. But you're going to you know, basically accept the crap that you're dealt instead of being brave and going to do the things that you want. That fear of the unknown is also stemmed around, like you said, criticism and, and what people are going to say about that attempt or that failure. So what I try to reframe, and I really want your listeners to catch this, is that I want you to expect criticism. I want you to expect naysayers. I want you to expect haters. I want you to like do a happy dance and cheer the first time you get a hater responding to one of the things that you're doing, to showing that your growth and an improvement. Because here's the honest fact, if you don't have any critics, if you don't have any naysayers, if you don't have any haters, that's not because you're a nice person. That's because you're obscured. It means that nobody knows who you are and you haven't done anything worth noticing yet. Because if you are willing to step out there and do things to become noticed, and I'm not talking about just showcasing yourself. I'm just talking about being vocal, putting your message out there, showing growth, inspiring other people, doing amazing things, impacting thousands of people. You're going to have critics. You're going to have naysayers. You're going to have haters. You need to learn that, that expect that, you're never going to avoid it. Think about this. Jesus Christ had haters. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ had murderers. <laughs> Martin Luther King had haters, had murderers. The greatest people in our entire history had haters and naysayers and critics. So what makes you think that you're going to avoid that, but you're not going to have them until you're making that impact? Because when you start making that impact, you start to become on a spotlight, on a pedestal. People start to see you. That's not going to sit well with some people. So celebrate those haters. Understand that that is meaning that you're finally doing something worth noticing. And then when you know that you can expect those and look forward to having those, guess what? They're no longer unknown. Yeah. You, ha you haven't been bold enough if you don't have haters. And it's the energy. Your energy becomes so strong, too strong for some people. And that's when you know you're doing something right. You're on the right track when you have people that are haters. How do you handle, and I want to go back to the fitness analogy that you talked mm -hmm. about, but since we're on the hater section here, how do you handle personally? Like how does Tony Watley handle haters? I've seen you um, had a hater one day on your Instagram I don't know what he was talking. I think it was about your cars or whatever. And you handle it really well, but I know some of my listeners may not have seen that post. So mm -hmm. how does a Tony Watley, best-selling author, side hustle millionaire, you know, successful businessman and coach, how do you handle that? Initially, we always look at our emotion, our emotional response or that trigger. If someone says something negatively or condescending or tries to belittle you or try to humiliate you or try to make you look stupid or try to make themselves look better. Like we initially have an emotion. Usually we want to punch them in the face or we want to like just delete them. <laughs> but or, that's normal. Yeah, that's normal. It's normal to have that human emotion, but where you start to become greater 
it is reward. You will become greater than them if you can become aware of that emotion and really curate the way you react. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people instantly Ooh, react. They basically want to have this knee jerk reaction and get into a keyboard battle and just try to prove each other wrong and, you know, basically use ego. Ego is fighting ego. You got this ignorant person talking and you yes. and your egos are clashing and you're beating each other against the head. And everybody else is just kind of eating popcorn, watching you both be <laughs> like stupid it's asses. So like, I mean, let's be honest. They're just kind of, Hey, I'm going to put out my lawn chair and watch these two idiots go at it because it's kind of entertaining. So once you can gain awareness of that emotion and just kind of accept, okay, that's the emotion I have, but how would I strategically respond? How would I, make this a positive? How could I actually use this to benefit my business or my brand or things like that? So now you can kind of push a emotion aside You maybe take five minutes, go vent that off, go, go just do something, go exercise or whatever, and really think about how you can strategically respond to maybe not, not to try to prove them wrong or turn them around, but also showcase the way you respond to your audience. Because the thing is, is everybody sees that troll bait and they're all waiting to see if you're a, a strong enough person to respond or they're also wanting to take notes because if you're influential, mm -hmm. people will learn from how you handle them. So mm -hmm. I think of it two ways. I think about, okay, this person, basically any kind of insults you usually see is from, is something in, it's wrong with them. And I'll tell you, it took me about the last so three true. years. It took me the last three years to finally figure this out because as someone that likes to help other people and contribute to other people and cares about other people, it hurts when we see somebody being mean to us or saying negative things. We think it's something that we did. Initially, oh, wow, did I, did I do something to piss this person off? Did I, did I kick their dog or, you know, did I make fun of their kids or, you know, what is it that I made, you know, what did I do? I just want to apologize. Like you, you think it's you, you start to internalize that. But what you really come across and I look back at all the ones that I know personally that were like this to me, it's because they're miserable. It's because yes. they are miserable people, no matter what financial level they are. There are people that have had highly successful people that would become critical of me and they have financial success, but then you look at their fitness and they're miserable. You look yes. at their families, they're miserable. You look at their divorces, you look at all these things that they're carrying around these things and they don't like to see Tony climbing out of the box that they've perceived that we're all equals within. So here we're all equals. We have this you know, basically acceptable level that they think that we're all the same thing. And if you start wanting more for your life, if you start climbing out of that box or putting a ladder up, guess what? That whole crabs in a bucket mentality, I'm sure everybody's heard it. They start yep. trying to drag you in because as you improve your fitness, as you improve your business, as you improve your impact, your message, if you start improving the influence that you're creating, what you're doing is you're starting to glow brighter than them. And yes. they don't like that because that glow that you're admitting is basically illuminating the dark sides of themselves that they can't admit that they have, you know, they basically can't keep Ooh, up. Yes. They can't keep up. They, they, they see you becoming stronger and more fit. They don't like that because they're sitting there 30 pounds overweight and they know that they're full of excuses on why they can't do it, but you can go do that. But it's easier to go make fun of you making your gym check-in post than it is for them to show up at the gym themselves. So I understand know. when you understand that the insults, the things that they're doing, especially if you, you know that what you're doing is coming from a good place. Mm-hmm it's all a reflection of them trying to basically project their insecurity yep. and flaws on you. They're not willing to stand on that stage. They're not willing to stand on the microphone. They're not willing to write a book because guess what? It kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier. They're so worried about being criticized. They're yes. so worried about failing. They're so worried about doing all these things that they want to basically make you feel the same way as them. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Cause there's a lot of things that I resonate with that. Um, one of the things that I resonate with is because, you know, I think people want an answer that, that they're not hearing from me when they say, how are you able to do all the things that you're doing? Mm -hmm. um, there's no way you can be a good mom and be present when you're doing all these busy stuff. There's no way you still have your marriage together when you're do doing all these busy stuff that you're doing like how in the world do you do everything that you do and you know in my mind my respond to it is just like how could we not you know because what we do and i always say this as a parent and as a mom what i'm doing to chase my dreams and to make a huge impact in this world is an example that I'm showing to my kids. And yes, I'm indirectly parenting them in that sense because I'm putting my time and focus when I am with Tony doing the podcast. I lock the door 
and I'm not talking to my kids, but I've already set the stage with them and saying, hey, mom is going to interview this amazing man. And I always introduce my guests to them in a way that I that I'm talking to them like they're adults, you know, like, hey, I'm going to interview this man of impact. His name is Tony. He's amazing. He's a best-selling author. And it, and then in their mind, like it, it makes them wonder like, wow, my mother is, is interviewing mm-hmm. this guy. So I need some time. We're going to do back to back. Like I explain everything to them and I talk to them like I'm having a, a real conversation with an adult, you know? So yeah. I love, I love this topic and this is something that is, it's polarizing. I'll share a, a thought on things because you touched on two things and, and the listeners, please pay attention to this and, and it may trigger you, but you know what? It's important to understand that it's coming from a place of love. Mm-hmm. So first of all, how can you tell your children to dream if they don't see you chasing your own dreams? That's what Karen is doing. She's telling her kids like, Hey, I'm in this room over here chasing my dreams talking to people that are impacting the world that I'm building my brand, I'm building, I'm helping thousands of and mil- millions of women. How can you tell your kids to chase your dreams if you're not willing to exemplify those things and chase your own dreams? And now some people are like, well, I put my kids first. Yeah. And that's another, that's another common excuse I hear. So when you hear people like, what is your purpose? Most people go, well, I just want to provide for my family. Well, you know what? That is the biggest BS answer that I've ever heard. It's a cop-out answer. And the thing is, is that that so response true. is only jockeyed back and forth by people who aspire to be average. And because it, it sounds like it's a high esteem thing, like, oh, I just want to provide for my family and their well-being. And you know what? That is a low-level impact. That's your job. That is your duty. That is not your impact. That is not your purpose. Our purpose is parents. Yeah, we got to take care of our kids and our family. That's, that's our job. That's kind of like whatever your profession is and you show up and they pay you for it. You can't say that's your purpose. That's just your job. That's, that's mm-hmm. what you, that's what we expect you to do. That's not like an attaboy, like good job. Yes. No, think about what your real purpose is. What is your real purpose? Because the thing is when you, when you use that line to someone like, well, I just want to provide for my family. Most people, most people who aspire to be average want the conversation to stop right there because they think that that is the highest purpose there is and that if I use this average excuse with you, you use it with me, we'd go, hey, that's cool. We're both average and we're not going to carry this conversation <laughs> further. You use that excuse with Corrine or myself. We're like, oh, that's, that's your purpose? Like, huh. I know. So you don't think that you can have greater impact in this world beyond the people that live within your house? Well, I, uh, well yeah, you can. Everybody has the opportunity to become impactful. I used to think about impacting thousands of people. Now I talk about impacting millions of people only because I've already impacted thousands of people. Yeah, you see, you had access to more thoughts in your mind. So there it is, like impact your family. Yeah, great, do that. Then impact 10 people, then then 100 people, then 1,000 people, then a million people, maybe a billion people. It's within you. So quit thinking small, quit thinking that it's honorable just to say like, I'm just doing this for my family. No, that's your job. Yeah. I hate when people tell me like, I don't have any time, you know, cause I have to take care of my kids and I've got to do this for my kids. And I, I shame on you for using your kids as an excuse not to do something with your life and not to mm. transmit your purpose to this world because every single one of us, and I always use my thumb, you know, your thumbprint is unique to you. And maybe there is a code in there that if we could read it, tells you what your real purpose is in life, because there is a reason why it is unique to one person only. There is no, the same thumbprint in this world, no matter how much related blood related you are. So I question everything and I wonder about a lot of things, you know, and, and one of the things that I always say, like the, the, my most favorite wonder of the world are the unknowns. Like, I wonder who's going to listen to this that I'm going to impact right now, talking to you, Tony. Like, I wonder who's going to listen to this that's going to take me to the next level that I don't even know them yet, you know? Mm -hmm. That's what gives me the fuel and the energy every day to get up and do this. It's a Sunday right now. Most people would say, I don't work on Sundays or I don't do interviews on Sundays. And, you know, Sunday is my family time. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a, like you talk about curating, you can curate excuses for me in the best possible way and craft it in the most nicest way. But at the end of the day, for someone like me and you, there's still an excuse. 
right? Yeah, it all comes down to priorities. It's not about time. Everybody on this earth has the exact same 24 hours in a day, even multi-billionaires that are operating 70 companies and have five kids. You know, basically there's a, a way to do things if you want to do that. As an entrepreneur, yeah. if you're really an entrepreneur, you figure out how to do things. We don't make mm -hmm. excuses. It's always going to be a challenge. If it's easy, everybody would have this. Everybody would have what you want. But those lifestyles that you dream about, if it was easy, everybody would have it, but it's not easy. And the thing is, it's like you touched on, we're recording these two episodes on a Sunday. I want to really point on this because this is a good mathematical. I'm an engineer. I'm kind of a nerd. So I want to kind of give you a mathematical equation of why that's important that we're actually doing this on a weekend. So most people generally only work five days a week, right? Mm -hmm. So five divided by seven is 71%. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what school you went to, but for me, a 71% grade is basically barely passing. So everybody out there that's working five days a week thinking they're getting it done, they're supporting their family, Karen. They're only working at a 71%. So if you're barely passing and you're expecting a A plus grade or A plus lifestyle, really do the math. You're not putting it in. You're not using those two extra days to get an advantage. And here's the other thing that people like hear that and they go, well, Tony, I've, I've got a family and I don't have, you know, I, don't, I shouldn't have to work seven days a week. Like, you know, you're, you're right. I'm not telling you to stay at your job seven days a week. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you to use those extra two days to get ahead, whether that's learning a new skill set, yes. learning and reading some books, gaining some knowledge, focusing on your fitness, your mindset, investing in yourself, gain something that you can monetize and create a new business, learn something new, do those things on the weekends. That's what I did. I read books. There was times I was working three jobs. And the wow. people that come to me and they go, hey, Tony, I, I want to start a business. Can you help me out? How do I do this? I don't have time. I've got a kid. And I was like, oh, man, that is the worst. Like, you, it's like we, we got to get in your head first. Like, the mindset's just not That's there so yet. You, you're still living in that excuse zone that you raised with. I get it. That's what we're conditioned to social programming. Only, I'll give you an idea. When I started my first company, the year was 2000. I had a newborn son. I was $40,000 in debt. And I was coming out of a year-long depression because I was with a woman that I was not in love with and had a child with. And I felt like my life was spiraling out of control. I was sleep deprived. I was working three jobs. Wow. And I just came out of an industry downturn where I was unemployed for six months, had to live on credit cards. And that caused that debt, had student loans to pay for. And you know what? I started my first company. And the lady that I was with, my son's mother, she and I didn't get along. We basically were never meant to be together. We're not, we mm -hmm. ended up splitting about eight months into after he was born. But the thing is, she never supported my dreams either. She used to laugh at the things that I was building. She called things stupid. And I built this website that grew to 300,000 members, and we talked about cars online. And she used to make fun of that. She'd say things like, I can't believe you're wasting time building the website talking about cars. Like, that's dumb. Like, guys talking about cars on the internet is dumb. That website made millions of dollars. Wow. And I didn't start it until after she and I split up. Had I stuck with her, would have never happened because I didn't have somebody supporting me. I had somebody belittling me, just verbally abusing me, making me feel like I was worthless. So I started a company depressed, working three jobs with a newborn that basically I had half the week. And wow. so I don't like hearing people with their excuses. And I, and I talked to you, you mentioned about blaming your kids. That's, that's the worst thing you can do. Yeah. And I've actually had friends that would say things like that, you know, kind of funny. It's like kind of passive aggressive, funny, like, mm -hmm. Oh, imagine how successful if I I'd be, if I didn't have you, Janie, wow. you know how much damage you do to your kids when you blame your kids directly oh. for the lack of your own success, whether joke or not. Exactly. Cause they're yeah. going to grow up to become adults and they've been hearing this crap every other you know, once in a while from you blaming them for your lack of success. Like, well, you know, my career would have been so much better if, but I had kids. Like if you say <laughs> stuff like that, what are you telling your kids? Oh. That if you have kids that you can't have success, you have to trade your success for kids. Like that is a bunch of bull crap. This is where the word mother hustler came because that way they are walking together being mom and hustler and you're not using one or the other as an excuse for the other, you know? And so you can be a mother and a hustler at the same time. Now, hustler is, is such a slang, hard term for, you know, if you look at the dictionary, but in 
pop culture now or in like social media terminology, it's what everybody uses when you are doing side hustles, when you're doing three jobs, when you're doing three jobs and two businesses on the side, that is a hustle. But that way with mother hustler, there is really like both of them, you can be mother and you can be not just a mother, but a really good mother and also be a great dream chaser. You could still perform on your dreams even though you have duties and responsibilities. In fact, you chasing your dreams is part of your duties and responsibility as a mother because that is the example that you're showing your children. That's no. a, it's so true. It's so true. And, and I think women in general, have, they're actually better at having the awareness of the things like that. Like, like men are very just focused on one thing and they basically mm -hmm. just go for one thing at a time most men don't have the ability to step back and see bigger pictures. You ever seen that kind of a comparison? Yeah. Yeah. And even, even like I see it all the time, even physiological, think about women. They, they have greater peripheral vision, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like millions of years of evolution. They're just more aware of their surroundings. Like my wife, we go to things and she can like, she sees things out the corner of her eye that I don't even see. Like, I, she's like, like what? Like all these people are like, <laughs> like we were, we were in Napa and we were walking one time and she's like, there's people following us. It's like, what are you talking about? And she's wow. like, she goes, I just sense there's people following us. And I turn around, there's a dude following us like this, this street bum and he was following us. And so I stopped and then he stopped and, you know, he's probably like 15 steps back. And she's like, well, let's just go inside one of these, these shops, you know, and see if he follows us. And we went in there and he kind of just hung outside the exit and we ended up having to call the cops, but that's her awareness is very high where mine was like, not there at all. See what I mean? So wow. I think women's intuition, we hear about these things and kind of, you know, people make, make jokes about women's intuition, all this. No, I've, I've seen it too many times. I've been with her 17 yeah. years. Like I, I, I think women have a much better intuition about things and reading people. She's very good at reading people. Like she'll yes. meet people and within five minutes, she'd be like, that guy's a dirtbag or he's, he's dishonest or, you know, it can even be like people I've known for a while. He's just using you. He's just doing this. And wow. then it all, it always pans out. Like, like <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. It's like a hundred percent accuracy rating. Like over time, yeah. the things that she says, she's always, she's always dropping the, I told you so card on me. And I'm like, God, you're right. Because I'm the kind of person that's always putting benefit of the doubt and trusting people too soon where she's the, the opposite of that. But you know, that's so cool. She, so yeah. the ones that she's like, that's a good person. Like we need to hang out with them. She's also been a hundred percent right. Wow. We have really good memories too. Our memory is so sharp. Um, we remember everything that guys don't. And we think guys are just making excuses, but it really isn't. It's just how you're wired, you know? Yeah. Women and men are wired differently. And so it also, for me, I think that that has a lot of causes of divorces when, because women think like men should be like us and vice versa. But men are just wired differently. And so, you know, I'm not, I haven't always been understanding of men. Um, and I think that I can, I can attribute that to like a successful marriage, not a perfect marriage, but just a successful marriage that, oh, okay, my, my husband is just being a man right now. You know, like that's just how they're wired. And it's, it just has helped our relationship a lot to really understand and, you know, I had to read that book, men, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, to really like, it's okay, true. what is it that I it's don't true. understand but, about my husband? And but the book is, is pretty, pretty close. I, I've read it. It's pretty close. It is. It is. So I want to talk about the projection of the haters to you. You said something um, about how they are successful financially, but they're not successful in every aspect of their lives. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you have heard the interview for Sarah Blakely, the CEO of Spanx on uh, the School of Greatness, but she said something that, I, that was really a aha moment for me and that, because Lewis asked like, how does it feel to be a billionaire, right? Mm -hmm. a, a woman billionaire. And she said, you know, it feels the same. I think that money just makes you more of what you were you know how you said miserable, like these people are miserable. They're heating on you because your light is so bright for them that it, it exemplifies or it makes their darkness, you know, they can't hide behind it anymore. And, you know, they're miserable. So even though they have a lot of money and they're financially successful, they are now more miserable because it just makes you more of who you really are before money and after money. 
What are your thoughts on the on that? First of all, that was a great interview with Sarah. She's very down to earth and I, I've I got to see her and her husband both speak at different events and they're both amazing speakers and they share a lot of value. And it's it's funny that she said exactly the things I believe in. I, I, I've always been a generally happy person. I've been very optimistic and helpful and I've always been this teacher mentor type personality. Even as a child, I was teaching people to do skateboard tricks and all kinds of stuff. Like I was always <laughs> showing, I would always master something and show other people how to do it. That's who I am. And I like that she talked about how she doesn't feel like she's changed any, even with money. I feel like the same way. I think mm-hmm. having money is basically just creates more options. It creates more comfort. But I do believe that happiness is something that's within because mm-hmm. I do know friends. I've got some friends that I still consider friends who lean on the skeptical, pessimistic side and they're successful, but they, they're not really don't have a smile in their face and they, yeah. they just don't have that energy in their voice. They, it's almost like they've, created the income despite some of the things that they really wanted to do because everybody let's face it we all have some kind of passion we all have something that we were meant to do i'm a Mm -hmm. firm believer in that but the problem is is that most people will trade that for some kind of a paycheck yeah so they'll they'll think that you know i need to go be an engineer a doctor a nurse do these things but they don't really they don't really want to do those things but they're basically just trading their dreams their passions for a paycheck and i get that it's something that we're wired to do. We, we tell people, go get a job, go get a steady job and, and things like that. And it's a big fallacy. It's just, you know, the thing is, is that most people always tell people what, what keeps people from greatness is being able to trade goodness. So most people have a good life. They've got good friends. They've got a good house, good income, and they're comfortable. You know, they don't have a lot of stress because of those things. But then they see the greatness out there. They see the life that they really want. They see like yourself and myself doing these amazing things. And they go, I would love to do that. But they're not willing to trade what they have. Going back to what we talked about earlier, that that complacency that they understand, that they've accepted. They're not willing to trade that or potentially lose that to go get what they really want. And the people who have become highly successful, I mean, for example, my my mentors are Ed Milet and Andy Frizzella. I'm in the RT syndicate. So two high-level guys. And what you learn from each of these guys and these people have built nine figure companies and billion dollar companies is that they were willing to trade what they have to go get what they want. And that's what I did three years ago. I finally left the corporate world. I was a multiple six figure earner in the oil and gas project management field. After 20 years of experience, I basically said, you know what, this doesn't serve me anymore. I got tired of my livelihood being somebody else's decision because whenever there's an industry downturn, I was the expensive guy. Guess who the first ones to get cut are? I said, you know what? I don't like this anymore. I'm in my forties. I don't like being unemployed for six to eight months because there's so few people could do what I was doing. I was like, I'm going to go be a coach. I'm going to go be a mentor. I'm going to go share the knowledge that only that my friends and my close proximity have benefited from for the last Mm -hmm. 15 years. I'm going to go make that a a public thing. I'm going to go help people. But the thing is, Karen, I wasn't the right person to do that initially. Yeah. Wow. That is an amazing wisdom that you shared because, you know, that, that's a tough decision to make. And that leads me to my next question to you and defining how, like, how hard was it to let go of that? Because multiple six figures is a lot of money. And, you know, you talk about your friends and I think you were talking about the spark, like they just don't have the spark inside of them. They're not excited about life. Mm-hmm. But imagine what you can do when you're excited about life and you're also financially successful, you know? So what part of Tony kind of woke, woke up and how hard was it to transition into becoming who you are now professionally? You know, you were a best-selling author, you wrote a book, and I know like you talk about like looking at yourself like, who am I to write a book? Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's also a lot of noise that you personally, no matter how great we are, we still have noises in our head that really like messes with us. But I think knowing what to sort through and, and move forward anyways and do it anyways through those fears is what a lot of us have a skill set for and figure it out. It, it is a crazy story. And the thing is, I was fortunate that I earned millions like 10, 12 years ago. And basically I didn't need to put myself on a spotlight or stand on the stage or get on a microphone. I had money. I didn't have to like do those kind of things. So I basically hid because of insecurities because mm. I didn't like the way my sound, my voice sounded in recording and I didn't like being on camera. So even like 
three years ago, you probably would have never seen me on any videos or you never really saw me in, in photos unless we were on vacation. Seriously? Yeah, unless my wife would be on taking pictures on vacation. Like I was not wow. making videos. I was not standing on the stages that I do today because I had money, I had the comfort and I had the job and I had businesses that I still operate. So I didn't feel the need to be out there. But the thing is that I, I decided that I needed to make impact. I needed to help more people. And so I started to think about everybody keeps coming to me for advice on how to start businesses and scale businesses and sell business. I was like, okay. So like I said, only the people that knew me were doing that. And I was like, well, if they keep coming to me for this thing, I guess I have some kind of a perceived authority or expertise in this. Maybe I need to write a book that way more people can have this information. So I said, okay, I've got this book and it's been in my head for five years and I'm going to write this book. And I said, wait, what if this book actually does well? Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm going to get asked to interview. I might get asked to be on the radio or podcast or TV. And it's like, I don't want to go up there and make a fool of myself and not be able to speak, you know, do things, interviews properly and, and just be really just like low energy. So I basically invested in myself to become a speaker. So I joined Toastmasters and I went every week and I made videos on social media every single day while I was learning things because I was learning public speaking skills and tactics, I would apply those to videos because it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Vocal variety, energy, conviction, speaking with more emotion, things that guys really have a lot of problem with. Most, <laughs> most men speak very monotone like this. Yes. And they have one volume and one, one cadence and one pitch. And it's very boring. If I would speak like this, the entire interview, you would already tune out. So you hear how I speak a lot differently. That's the things I had to learn to speak like that because I was being ready while I was writing the book I was learning at the back end, trying to make sure I was ready to be interviewed on the back end and, and everything planned out. Like it, wow. I've been on TV, I've been on the radio, I've been on a, over a hundred podcasts now. So everything worked out exactly the way it worked, but I didn't think that I was going to fall in love with public speaking. And it was something I was afraid of. Isn't that interesting? I didn't like it. I, I learned it. I practiced it. I got better because of the importance, because I'm goal focused. Mm. But then I started to be recognized within the group that I was Toastmasters group. They're like, Hey, you should go compete at this. And I'm thinking, are you crazy? Like competing <laughs> at public speaking? Like most people fear public speaking more than death itself. Yes. It's the number one fear. It is the number one fear. And when you think about being judged at a, by judges with clipboards to go do public speaking, that's even higher level of, of fear. Yes. And, you know, so death plus we'll call that right. And I did that and I started winning these competitions. So it's like, wow, maybe I, maybe I have some skill here. It's not a talent. Nothing is a talent. Nothing like the way you speak, the way I speak, this is not a talent. It's a skill. Skills yeah. are learned. I didn't have this. Anybody wants to go watch my Instagram videos from June of 2017 and, and newer, <laughs> like you'll see my very first videos and I leave those there on purpose. They're very monotone. I, I joke, I call myself monotony because that's who I was. Monotony. That was the level, that was the level of, of confidence. That was the level of skill I had. And those videos, the funny thing, Karen, is like, I would take 10 takes. I used to do them in my truck, like after work. So I'd have my tie. I was a consultant. Like, I'm, I'm going to make this video. I'm going to make this, I'm going to make this one minute video. Come on, man. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And basically I would do that. I would do like 10 takes with my phone. And wow. the one that I would share would be the very best one I thought I could do. It was like, this is as good as it's going to get. And I would share that one. So these, yeah. the first year of videos was probably like eight to 10 takes before I started to be able to do one takes because I started to gain confidence in the skills. So when you gain the confidence in the speaking skills, you can focus on the message now. Yes. Yes. That's, that's so important. But yeah, to answer your question, I, I did not want to do it. I, I, it was a, it, it was a major thing that happened in my life that compelled me to go be more impactful. And the only way I could be more impactful is becoming a better communicator and sharing my message. So yes. that's what I did. By the way, your voice is like a radio voice. You know, like when you used to hear people like, wow, your voice is powerful. It's like a radio personality voice. So I'm not sure where you're coming from when you said about your voice didn't sound good. And maybe you had to like create a different tone as you um, earn the knowledge and skill set to be a great public speaker or a speaker for anything. Because being a speaker, I think voice can command something. Mm -hmm. You know, it has a tendency to like people will lean in and say, oh, I want to listen to this person, you know. The, the problem is, is people don't have the emotion behind their voice. They, yes. That's something we have to learn. So we can write out a very great speech. We can, the thing is like, we can 
I can write out a speech, a one page speech, I could get 10 speakers, hand them the exact same copy, read this word for word to the audience. And the thing is that every one of those people will have a different segment of that audience that will resonate with them. The thing is the message that you speak with emotion is something that we learn. It's not something that we are born with, especially mm -hmm. if you're hanging around with a bunch of people who don't speak with emotion. I definitely think that women have the upper hand with that because women yeah. do speak with more emotion. It's, it's more of a comfort zone. Men don't do that. It's almost like that kind of goes back to the being judged and criticizing thing. Because most men hear mm -hmm. somebody with speaking with emotion. Let's be honest. Like I'm a car dude. Been in the <laughs> racing scene, and we used to see things like your listeners are going to laugh. Like like you see a dude like doing a selfie. Like imagine like how other alpha dudes see yes. that. They're like, yes, look at that guy. He's being like a teenage girl, like doing selfies. Like and, and they're all and, and and for a while you would laugh about that. Yeah, that guy's just being like a teenage girl doing selfies. You know, Instagram girl, whatever. You know, not to belittle teenage girls like doing it, but that's the alpha dude's reaction to that. That's just yes. what I'm being honest with. And so when you start to think about it and you look around and go, wait, wait, wait a minute. Like you and I met through Lewis Howes. Like he does, he does selfies and he does videos. Like he's kind of got a lifestyle that I would like to emulate and do that and have yeah. that impact and help people. Like, so he was also a professional football player and he's his alpha dude and exactly. you know, a leader is like, he can do it. He's, He's got the lifestyle I want. And then I look around at the other people who are making fun of it. It's like, what are they doing? Hmm. Hiding from the camera, never had any impact, never did anything, never accomplished crap. Why am I taking the advice of those people? So I started thinking about who are the other people that I want to, Ed Milet, Andy Frizella, those guys, if you follow them on Instagram, they're doing videos all the time, yes. all the time. So you start to listen to the people who are doing the things that you want, the things who have exemplified the results that you want to achieve and quit paying attention to the people that you would never take advice from. Yes. You know, you said something as you were describing your journey to me that, that reminded me of the thing that my friend um, I had a coffee with recently and said that most people are not scared of failing. They're scared of succeeding. Mm -hmm. And, and you, you just describe that or like, what if the book does really well? Now I'm going to be interviewed. How am I going to do that? So like you were scared of more, yeah. it, it created fear in you. But then again, what I want to like really compliment you on is you taking action behind the scene before you even became the Tony Watley that you are now, you worked on yourself. Mm -hmm. You went to go invest in yourself, time, money, your, your energy of, of fear, being fearful. And now you competed in the speaking platform called Toastmasters, which is, by the way, if you guys are wanting to be a speaker, that is one of the best kept secret there is. They're all over the community. You don't know until you go online and look for one chapter. And, and there's a lot of people that are developing their speaking skills through Toastmaster. Absolutely. You know? Even Lewis credits his entire speaking and podcasting from Toastmasters. He gave a five-minute speech at one of his summits. Wow. So, Tony, I'm going to ask you a series of questions before we end this interview. What is your message? Is your mother still around? Absolutely. What's your message to her? I really just I want to thank her for dream, helping me dream bigger and understanding that there is endless possibilities. I've always believed that. I just didn't understand it was going to happen. I think that most people are really in things for themselves and they're going to limit their potential. She was the one that taught me to really care about other people and try to help other people. And we've all heard this from the greatest masters of personal development that if you want to create an impact and help other people, that's how you get paid in return. A lot of people enter the space or enter entrepreneurship solely focused on making money for themselves. But the thing is, is you're not going to become successful until you can focus on making other people successful first. Yes. 365 driven. Uh, you epitomizes that, which is amazing. You're wearing the shirt right now. You're kudos to all of your merch. Beautiful yeah. design, by the way. Did you design it yourself and tell us a lot? more about 365 driven i did design it myself that's the artistic side of me i've designed the logos of every company i've ever owned and it's just something i enjoyed i taught myself how to use photoshop and illustrator wow. I taught myself how to code web pages by just reading books this is all pre-youtube and pre-social so i basically bought books and practiced so it was just a creative outlet for me and the, and the thing is that 
365 Driven is an entrepreneurship community. There's about 3,000 members on Facebook group called 365 Driven Entrepreneurs. And basically, we help each other. Basically, I kick all the jerks out. Anybody that's passive aggressive <laughs> or making fun of people for asking what they perceive as a stupid question, I kick those people out. And that's the kind of leadership that helped me grow not only one community that grew to 300,000 members, but another one that grew to 260,000 members. I backed it up by the same process. And it's by creating a safe place for people to engage and participate. So if you've got people who are cancerous or toxic within your community, you have to be a leader and just kick those people out. And until you do, what's going to happen is you keep these negative people in there the good people watch from the shadows. They're not going to participate because they're so afraid of that people jumping on them or being rude to them. So they just don't participate. So if you can kick all those negative people out, which is honestly probably less than 5% of the group anyways, you don't need those people. Let them go find their misery somewhere else. Be yes. very strong because if you allow those people in your group, if you've got a Facebook group, if you want to build a community and you're listening to this, if you don't take care of those people immediately with, with no mercy, Basically, your audience is not going to support you because you're showing yourself to be an ineffective, weak leader, and they're watching to see how you respond to those kind of things. So take the opportunity to correct people or just get rid of them. Your community will grow, and that's what 365 Driven is. I'm building a group that I want to scale out to millions of people to really help entrepreneurs. It's really an amazing group. I'm part of it. So thank you for being a great, awesome leader. You, you, know, you moderate it really well. Um, you have amazing people that that are inside there. It's also a great uh, networking opportunity. I love how I catch a lot of your episodes in there too with, with the um, video headliner that you do. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for being a part of that. It's, it's been a lot of fun to grow that out. And I don't worry about quantity of people. There's a lot of people that just want to build a massive amount of people in a group. I'd rather take the quality any day. Yeah. So you built this side hustle while you were working in the oil company. Mm -hmm. What happened to that side hustle and how, like if you were to take one thing away from that journey of yours as part of your life, what do you think that you would take away from what you learned from building that side hustle? So kind of going back, we talked about just trying to make $500 a month. And that was, that was a car note back then. So basically I was building a website around those type of cars. So the General Motors performance cars, a Corvette, Camaro, Firebird, Cadillacs. We built a community for those people. And I had a car at the time, it was like 500 a month. It's like, hey, if I can get a $500 a month, it's like having a free car. That's like having a hobby that pays for itself. Like we hear this kind of <laughs> stuff now, right? And within the first three months, we were making close to $10,000 a month. And we're like, whoa, this is like taking off. And that's when we decided, you know what? Oh this is like a business. This isn't a hobby. So that's actually when we started to create an LLC it was probably six months into the business. So don't think that you got to go jump through hoops and do all the business stuff. I mean, that's good, but don't do that. Just start. Validate, yeah. Validate the product, validate the service that you're creating, validate the value that you're creating. And then when it starts to monetize, you can go get an LLC later. You don't have to do that right now. You don't have to spend the money and the time to do that. Wait till it starts to pay for itself. And so it grew and it grew and grew. And what we really focused on was we treated even the free consumers. So the visitors to the site didn't pay us, but we wow. knew that if we had more eyeballs and more people logging into the site, then we could attract advertising revenue. So we started to do giveaways. We started to do a win, win, win is what we used to talk about. How do we grow a membership? We used to see the analytics. We see that you know, 10,000 people would visit the site per day and only 5,000 were logged in as registered. So we're like, hey, we, what do we, how do we get these other 5,000 people to join? Wow. We started doing giveaways. So we had these sponsors who would advertise their shops or manufactured parts or whatever things. And we said, hey, we want to entice more people to sign up. Can we get a gift certificate from you for maybe 250 bucks? And we'll call you a featured sponsor and we'll talk about you all month and then we'll give it away to someone who's registered. So you have to be registered to win that dramatically started getting people to join up because wow. they couldn't win. They're already hanging. They're already spending hours on the site learning about things, but they weren't registered. So might as well give us your email address and your contact information to get the opportunity to win. So that's a win, win, win. So we got the win by increasing our enrollment. The sponsor got the win by being a featured sponsor and being notified, you know, and they also got the sale because the gift certificate actually went back to them. So they gained a customer. So, there's a good way to things. And the, and the person obviously who won got the win from that as well. So three wins there. And that worked for about the first year. 
And then we started thinking being when we're creative. Okay, so we got this online community. There's probably about 10,000 people at the time in the first mm -hmm. year. And we said, how do we get this bigger? How do we grow up to 100,000 people? Like, well, we need to go have different events around the country and on the hot spots. So for automotive- mm -hmm. Honey, he goes, but I just see a burnout and I don't want you to not love this, right? And I said, he goes, what can I do to help you? And I said, no, I'm good and everything. And, and he said, I need you to stop. And I said, I said, okay. And he goes, you love blessing people. And I can see that. He goes, and what you get from that is blessing you. He goes, but by you not letting other people bless you, you're robbing them of that same thing. And that was so impactful for me because I was the person that thought, no, I can do it all. I don't need anybody to help me. You know, moreover, I felt like it made me less if I asked for help. Um, what is your message to Jada? Uh, my message to Jada, God, she's so awesome. <laughs> I love my daughter so much. I love how independent she is. Um, and I think my message to her is probably just to continue to grow into her own power, um, figuring out what that is for her and not letting anybody tell her how to be. So something about my daughter is that um, she has a girlfriend and not a boyfriend. And so she came out to me and her dad when she was um, a senior in high school. She mm -hmm. met a girl and, and I always knew. I just knew intuitively. Your moms just knew. We no, did, right? You just know. And he did too, because we talked about it when she was very young. But so my message to her is just to stay, stay strong in that, you know, and that to not let anybody um, try to put, a, a, put her inside of a box. Mm -hmm. she's, human. she's yeah. just I mean she's just one of us yeah so remind me your second son's name uh, oh his name is Aiden Aiden is the is the baby I know he's Aiden. my, yeah, he's my baby it's <laughs> the name of the middle one uh Dylan Dylan what's your message to Dylan Oh, you know what? Same thing, like not to let anyone put him inside of a box because I think mm -hmm. what has happened throughout his life is that because he has Asperger's and he has ADHD. Um, we struggled a lot in the school system mm -hmm. with That's people. It's right. They just classify him as a troublemaker and then they put him inside of a box I that says that. you're a bad kid. I hate when they do that because school combines everybody. And then they, and then the ones that don't 